Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Friday. Congratulations. You made it through the week. I made it through the week. Jim made it through the week. And Jim, this has been an eventful, a busy, in some ways a maddening week if you're waiting for results from Iowa. Uh, but I think having the chance for all of us to to gather here, grab the stool and, and talk it out every day has definitely been been good as we uh, head into another busy week. Next week, uh, we've got good, good, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Before we even get going on that, this isn't even a martini, but uh, great news again from the Labor Department. We talked on Wednesday about all the great uh, employment news that uh, President Trump included in his State of the Union address, but uh, we've just got the January job numbers, 225000 for the month, expectation 158000 uh, we do have uh, the unemployment rate ticking up to 3.6%, uh, but that's because the labor force participation rate is increasing. So that's always good. Uh, also, wages uh, higher than expected was supposed to be 3% over the past year, 3.1% actually now. So a beating expectations across the board. Yeah. You know, we, we thought about making this a full separate martini, but we talked about the jobs numbers during Trump's, uh, in, after Trump's State of the Union address. I think everybody, this is staying the course. This is what we want to see. This is, you know, I, I, it'd be interesting to see if any Democrat tries to say it went up from 3.5 to 3.6, you know, you know, that's, this is how the fractions work out when you have more people entering the workforce. Um, it is not a significant one. Now, if it starts going up to four, okay, maybe you worry about, but like worry a bit. But I went back and I checked, Greg. We've been at four percent or below since February 2018. That's a really good run. Um, now, obviously, again, if you get more people entering the workforce, it might go up a, a tenth of a percentage point here or there. You only have to worry about it if it's a trend. Um, this is really pretty much what any president would want as he heads into a reelection year. No, absolutely. Last year was supposed to be a big recession year. Didn't quite turn out that way, thankfully. So, uh, all right, let's get on to our good martinis. And Jim, we spent a lot of time hammering the mainstream media and even Wolf Blitzer in particular, because uh, he's always encouraging us to stand by. And uh, this time it was Maisie Hirono who needed to stand by. Uh, you remember Maisie Hirono, right? Uh, she's not on TV a ton, but she became a pretty big uh, uh, presence on cable news last year during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings where she dropped in gems like this. And I just want to say to the men of this country, just shut up and step up. Yeah, she's a real uh, mental candle power winner right there. But uh, <laughs> so she was... She was on with Wolf Blitzer yesterday, and, and Wolf Blitzer was trying to ask her what comes next now that the uh, Senate has acquitted President Trump, but she wasn't having any of that, and Wolf wasn't having any of her. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, the Senate has clearly spoken now. The president was acquitted. Do you think no. your House colleagues... Wolf, <laughs> he wasn't acquitted. It was a rigged trial. You don't get acquitted when you don't even get to call witnesses or relevant witnesses or have the documents because the president stonewalled all efforts on the part of the House to get the information they requested. So there you go. It was a rigged trial. He can run around saying he was acquitted, but uh, you don't get acquitted in a rigged trial. I just want to point out, uh, Senator, uh, there was a roll call, guilty or not guilty. Yes. Not guilty uh, was the majority. And the, speak, yes. and the Chief Justice of the United States announced that he was acquitted, that he was not guilty. Just details, Wolf. Just irrelevant details. But hey, <laughs> you know, good on Wolf Blitzer for pointing out actual facts here. You might not like the acquittal, Senator, but he was acquitted. 
You know, Greg, it's moments like this that remind me that Wolf Blitzer always was my favorite member of the Mission Impossible team. <laughs> For those who didn't see the last movie, Wolf Blitzer's in it. And not just like, oh, we used a bit of a snippet of him. No, Wolf Blitzer joins the team, or so it seems. Um, the so first of all yes good on him for doing this it's really fascinating to watch people during this entire impeachment process who who would flip back and forth between impeachment is a trial and impeachment is not a trial and I had a whole morning jolt on this and the short answer is that impeachment is sort of like a trial but it's also clearly sort of not like it and it doesn't follow because if, if you said well how is this a trial Think about it. The grand jury turns into the prosecutors, right? The jury not only doesn't have uh, any opinion, not only does it know the accused, it often has very clear relationships with the, the accused, positive or negative. Um, under trials, you can, you know, the jury is never allowed to go out and, you know, talk about how they think the trial's going. And oh, by the way, in a trial, how many members of the jury are campaigning to take the job of the defense? Like, there are all kinds of ways and it's no, this isn't like a trial. On the other hand, you've got the presentation of the evidence from both sides. You've got the effectively what's, you know, people who are in the role of a defense attorney, people who are in the role of a prosecutor. There's a guy in black robes in charge who keeps everything running. And there's a verdict at the end. So, yeah, it is kind of like a trial. If you're wondering, like, why, you know, but why is it, you know, handled by the Senate? Why doesn't somebody else handle this? Read Federalist 65. It's not that long. It's written by Alexander Hamilton. He doesn't really sing or rap about it as they do in the musical. But he, you know, Alexander Hamilton lays out the logic of all this. And the, the shortest, simplest way of saying they thought about, they could have done have, have the Supreme Court handle this sort of thing. But Hamilton, in so many words, basically says, look, the Supreme Court under this system isn't going to be elected. It's going to be a nominated and confirmed. So you're going to have somebody who was elected getting removed from office. But not, you know, by people who were not elected to their offices and who are in lifetime appointments. You know, you can understand the public could be a scenario where the public ends up being very upset that somebody that they voted for gets removed by a bunch of people they didn't vote for. So that's why it's held to by the Senate, even if impeachment goes terribly wrong. Maybe you hate the decision that was reached earlier this week or maybe you love it. You have a chance to weigh in against your senators and say, I think this is a good idea. I think this is a bad idea. Um, I mean, unless you live in the District of Columbia. <laughs> but it's, it's also important that he did that because I think it was Chuck Schumer, I think even long before the witness vote was uh, trotting out this talking point of, look, if you don't even uh, concede to witnesses and uh, subpoena documents, then this is not a legitimate trial, which means it's not a legitimate acquittal. So you've got that on your conscience. I mean, he could be technically acquitted, but he's not really acquitted. And if Maisie Hirono had trotted this out with Cuomo or Lemon or Maddow or O'Donnell or folks like that, she probably would have gotten away with it. So uh, the fact that Blitzer actually reminded her of uh, what what the deal was here was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the, the simplest response, if you're really, really mad at Trump, is to say, yeah, OJ got acquitted, too. And he had Alan Dershowitz representing him as well. All right. Let's move on to our second good martini now, Jim. And this is becoming a delightful pattern. One of the things we love most on the Three Martini Lunch is when really evil people get killed. And that might sound a little harsh, but we're not really apologetic about it. And we're, we're on a nice string here. Uh, CNN with uh, most of the story here. The White House announced Thursday evening that Kasim al-Rimi, hope I'm saying that right, the leader of a terror group in al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, was killed in an airstrike in Yemen. CNN reported last week that the U.S. conducted a strike targeting Rimi, who led the terror group's franchise based in Yemen, that has repeatedly expressed interest in conducting attacks targeting the United States. 
a U.S. official said. The Pentagon did not comment when asked at the time about the report. The U.S. government had offered a $10 million reward for information on him. NPR is reporting that uh, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula took credit for the terrorist attack at the Pensacola Naval Air Station not that long ago. Uh, So that's important to keep in mind. And, of course, the news comes on the heels of the U.S. taking out Qasem Soleimani in January, the Iranian general, as well as Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the head of ISIS, at the end of October. Bad time to be named Qasem and be a terrorist uh, right now, I guess, Jim. So uh, three for three, what do you make of this? Well, my first thought is that, you know, suddenly U.S. counterterrorism policy has turned into the dead terrorist of the month club, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. I, you know, it's better than the jelly of the month club that Clark Griswold got. Um, <laughs> the, one thing that kind of jumps so I, I was trying to think about this right before we started taping, Greg. Is it safe to say that the only terrorist that most Americans can name who is alive is Ayman al-Zawahiri? I, if they can even name him, but yeah, he's the only one that I yeah, can yeah. name. This is the Egyptian doctor who was the number two in Al-Qaeda who ended up taking over when bin Laden and who you don't hear from very much. Like every once in a while, I'll, I'll go and I'll just check the coverage. He doesn't. He clearly doesn't dominate the headlines the way bin Laden did. You don't see nearly as many videotapes. Apparently, like he gets into like these troll wars with other Muslim extremists who say, you're not as good as you used to be. You're no bin Laden. You're this pale imitation of him. So apparently, like, you know, when next time you see Trump responding to some idiot on Twitter and like, why is he doing this? That's well, good to know the bad guys do this, too. Um, so you know, we, on the one hand, this is this is really terrific. Every time I see a dead terrorist, I think, oh, America. Mm, yeah. Uh, from Team America, World Police. Um, I think it was kind of just the, the, the most remarkable aspect of this. First of all, again, people said we couldn't do this, that this was a very tough thing to do. Either we're really lucky or we're doing something a little bit differently and we're doing it very effectively. Now, we don't know the exact details of every little bit of our counterterrorism policy, but it definitely feels like metaphorically the dog is off the chain and chasing them all down. Although perhaps literally in some cases, our dogs are off the chain and are chasing them all down. Now, what's really kind of remarkable about this came in Monday night where Trump goes and does his whole thing about the death of the leader of ISIS, al-Baghdadi. And that whole segment is, you know, wow. You know, and a tribute to the troops, to the courageousness, uh, the important intelligence work that finally tracked him down. And then he went straight into the Qasim Soleimani section. <laughs> and it was kind of like, America, wait, wait, I'm not done yet. Here's the other terrible terrorist mastermind who we've killed in just the past couple of weeks. And you could you could easily imagine, well, look, it's they're, they're, they're piling up. There's a whole bunch of them, and it's easy to get them confused. This is not the ISIS one. This is the Iranian one. And now we've got a third one, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, who, as I understand it, really was kind of like the lone remaining Al-Qaeda franchise that was punching above its weight, so to speak. I mean, are there guys who are going always going to claim to be Al-Qaeda and claim to be continuing the fight? Sure. Um, but you just don't hear about them as much. And I think it's safe to say that, you know, What's really fascinating is we we you know we lived in fear of Al Qaeda for quite a few years, and then with the rise of ISIS around 2013 or so, we started feeling you know real fear in our hearts from that. We saw attacks in uh, obviously thankfully nothing akin to 9/11, but you know you see things like Orlando or the San Bernardino attack or the attack in Paris, and you'd feel frightened for for good reason. This is terrifying, and now we don't spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about Al Qaeda. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about uh, ISIS. You know, the world does feel a little bit safer. Now, whether it actually is, you know, God forbid, you know, people can hear me knocking on wood. Hopefully nothing else happens anytime soon or or really ever. 
This can all change in a New York minute. But if Americans feel safer, it seems they have very good reason to feel safer today than they did just a few years ago. Jim, I assume we're allowed to talk about this since it was on Twitter. Um, Rob O'Neill is the Navy SEAL credited with actually taking out Osama bin Laden. And in a tweet, uh, what was it, about a week ago now? Because I saw your reaction to this, and I think you know where I'm going with this, is that he just uh, let it be known that there was never any intelligence suggesting that Osama bin Laden had any sort of kidney disease or needed dialysis. He says it was thrown out there by U.S. intelligence so that they would know where the lousy intelligence was coming from. So that way if folks said, yeah, yeah, we know where bin Laden is. We've seen the dialysis machine. They would know that intelligence was bunk and it was designed to ferret out the uh, the fake intelligence. And that helped them to zero in eventually on, on the final target. And I remember your reaction on Twitter was, Wow. Yeah, you know, it, it's a GIF, so I don't know if the our audio description can do it uh, justice. But you were talking about it just blows your mind. <laughs> right. so it's like, whoa. That is the full-on Keanu Reeves whoa <laughs> moment uh, of, of recent memory. And I, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, I didn't see anybody from the intelligence community retired or open to come out and say, yes, that is true or no, that is not true. Rob O'Neill, McChuya on Twitter, you know, he is the guy who shot him. So you'd think he'd be pretty up to speed on what was known about him and what this sort of stuff was. And it was just like, on the one hand, delightfully mind-blowing um, and certainly helped, helped weed out the false leads and helped us get the guy. So, you know, God bless everybody involved in that. It's a little bit bizarre when you realize something you heard a lot about turned out to be uh, uh, deliberate disinformation. Um, and then the third thing kind of jumps out. There was a, a, I remember in shortly after the invasion of Iraq, I'm going to say around Christmas 2003, there was a parody children's book called Where's Saddam? Foolish old George W. Bush couldn't find Saddam Hussein. And it was all kinds of places of Saddam Hussein hiding and a very childish looking George W. Bush looking for him. And I hated that book. I wouldn't ban it. Although maybe I, it was so much, I almost wanted to like, you know, I was almost tempted to buy it just to burn it. But then, of course, the author gets, the, you know, some payments um, because it was such a smug, sneering, you know, like finding a hidden dictator was easy that some comic illustrator could do. And oh, what you know, what kind of idiots do we have in our government if they can't even find a, a, a hiding? Of course, then we did find them, right? The kidney disease uh, dialysis information about Osama bin Laden popped up in every sneering, I don't know if Bill Maher himself ever did it, but let's say every Bill Maher-esque comedian from 2001 to 2011 would have some routine of, and what is, I'm going to do a very Jerry seinfeld voice, even though <laughs> Seinfeld I don't think ever told this joke. What is the deal with the inability to find bin Laden? He's a 6'6 Arab in Afghanistan. The guy's on a kidney dialysis machine. Come on, Bush, get on with, you know, it's just this smug, snide, insufferable tone like this whole thing was easy. Now, anybody who knows anything about intelligence work and, uh, uh, you know, reads, reads about all this kind of stuff and, and you know, nonfiction accounts, this is hard. <laughs> Whitey Bulger evaded the cops for decades, okay? Like, this is not easy to find somebody. So, um, you know, just kind of fascinating and, and just, you know, the, 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 the usefulness of that kind of disinformation and uh, just kind of useful to oh, all those comedians that whole time chuckling at what they thought was an incompetent Republican president really were just kind of echoing helpful disinformation we had put out there to weed out the people who were lying. All right. Well, let's move on to our crazy martini now, Jim. 
And uh, now that we have all the votes in in Iowa, there's a candidate who is no longer running for president who is running as of Monday. Not on the Democrat side, mind you, where there's still way too many candidates in the field and only a few of them actually got delegates or QDE or SDE or whatever they are. It doesn't even matter anymore. It's basically a tie uh, with Sanders and Buttigieg in that area. But uh, no, Joe Walsh, the former Illinois congressman turned radio host, Tea Party guy, now hates Trump. And now he's ready to vote for a socialist, even. Uh, Joe Walsh has decided he's not going to be the Republican nominee. It only dawned on him this week, apparently, Jim. Uh, So he goes on CNN with John Berman. And first he talked about who or what the greatest threat to our nation is. Donald Trump is a dictator. He's a king. He literally is the greatest threat to this country right now. Any Democrat would be better than Trump in the White House. So then Berman asked him which Democrat he preferred. He kind of dodged that question. But then Berman said, even Bernie Sanders? I mean, you're a Tea Party guy. He's an avowed socialist. Could you vote for Bernie? I would rather have John Berman, a socialist in the White House, than a dictator, than a king, than Donald Trump. Jim, Joe Walsh has come full circle or at least gone from one end of the political spectrum to the other. I don't know if there was ever any logic or consistency to his thinking. I really don't like uh, Walsh. I, I really think he is one of the more toxic personalities in our politics. And I'm going to lay out a couple of reasons why. First of all, let's point out that he's congressman because he won by about 200 votes in a uh, pretty swing district in the Tea Party wave of 2010. Right afterwards, Democrats redistricted. He never had a chance, and he and he didn't win. So you, I'm going to say he's argue he's elect he's lone electoral victory was a fluke but let's just say this is not a you know i'm not even going to say whirling dervish for all political charisma let's just say this was a guy who got elected under very lucky circumstances he's in house um no one remembers him as being a master craftsman legislator uh or, or anything like that he was a guy who always had a personality that was probably better suited to his subsequent career of being a radio talk show host um, he was there to, he knew what he wanted to say. He just didn't, you know, he, he said he found Congress kind of bewildering, still got lost in the hallways. Um, he struck me as the kind of guy who, who ended up almost got elected by accident and ended up not really wanting to do the work. And you may remember one of the you know first viral moments of this guy. He's having a town hall with his constituents and good for him. You know, it's, it's good for him to have these town hall meetings. There were a bunch of candidates who had tried to hide from their, you know, from their constituents when things got tough. Walsh did it and got some tough questions and, and generally did him okay. We shouldn't judge him by just one moment. But there is at least one moment where he goes up to a woman and just screams in her face and he flips out. And it's not – look, we all have bad moments. We all have thing, moments where we lose our cool. But it was an early indicator that, look, this is not a guy who um, uh, you know, is a natural fit for the duties and responsibilities of governing. Goes into talk radio, gets into trouble here and there, uses the N-word, is not – deliberately racist but did it in conversation about words you're not allowed to use anymore and most of us when we're discussing the n-word say the n-word joe walsh did not say the n-word he said the n-word many times in the course of the conversation people complained he was temporarily suspended i don't think that's the worst moment of joe walsh's career but i think again you're like okay this guy's judgment is a little bit shaky then as the trump period you know rises to power walsh is right there with him oh by the way he's a birther Oh, by the way, he contends Barack Obama is a Muslim. And oh, by the way, we, you know, things are, are approaching 2016 elections. He says that if Trump doesn't win, he's going to grab his musket, right? 
Now, is he saying I will lead an armed insurrection against a Hillary Clinton government? Not quite, but certainly we're getting towards a if Trump didn't win, there's a cheat. And if Trump doesn't win, it's time for a revolt. Right. So then he does all of that. And pretty much uh, up until, I believe, you know, December 2016, he's still calling Obama a Muslim. And he is basically completely on board with everything Trump is doing and completely on board with all of Trump's style and all stuff. No one can say Trump is a different guy today than he was in 2016 and that you thought he was sensible and reasonable and even tempered back then. But shockingly, since then, he's turned into somebody completely different. During that time period, when those of us, including myself, who were not fans of Trump, would have said, look, I can't vote for this guy. I, I, you know, good luck. Every, you know, as they say in, in The Princess Bride, good, good luck storming the castle, fellas. This guy is just not of the moral character that I can suspect. Joe Walsh was calling people like me liars and corrupt and the worst of America. I guess we were entitled to have that opinion. But somewhere around 2018, Joe Walsh completely flipped and he completely renounced everything. And I, I really went at him at length in today's jolt. I, I, you know, this is one of those moments where I was like, yeah, please read this. Please re- read this, America. Not because I'm just an unbelievably brilliant writer or anything, but just because the sheer scale of how much Joe Walsh flipped needs to be appreciated uh, for you could either say the audacity of it, uh, the, the boldness, the idea that he's now in a position to judge the rest of us for not being sufficiently supportive of impeachment, for, for not being sufficiently opposed to the president when Joe Walsh did everything he possibly could. But then the other thing, and it's kind of fascinating to watch John Berman, just like the, the recognition of Joe Walsh. Not only does Joe Walsh want Trump to be defeated, he said just a little short while ago, every Senate Republican who votes to acquit this president without demanding witnesses, documents, and a fair trial deserves to lose this November. It was about, you know, week, week and a half ago. This means Joe Walsh believes that every Republican senator, except for Mitt Romney, should be defeated. I assume he would extend that same philosophy to House Republicans, right? It's not like there was any House Republican who said Trump should be impeached. They didn't have any say in witnesses, documents, and fair trial, but it's, you know, the thinking of Cory Gardner and, and the rest of the Senate Republicans is not that different from the thinking of Kevin McCarthy and the thinking of House Republicans. So Joe Walsh is running for the Republican nomination for president, and he also believes that every Republican in the legislature, except for Mitt Romney, should be defeated. Greg, this is, this make, this is incoherent, because if you are a Republican calling for every Republican to be defeated, you are not a Republican anymore. I don't know what you are, but you are not quali- you know, That doesn't make you, you know, when your message to the electorate is everyone in my party should be defeated except me. You are no longer functionally a member of that party. And then he went out to Iowa. But the other thing, Joe Walsh insists he has not changed his position on issues. So he wants to repeal the Affordable Care Act. He thinks there's never mind that we shouldn't raise the federal minimum wage. There shouldn't be a federal minimum wage. That he supports public funds for private schools, voter ID. Oh, he also wants a border wall and opposes abortion without exception. And Greg, he just went out there and said that Trump must be defeated and we must elect any Democrat even if it's Bernie Sanders. Does that make any sense at any level? He would like a, an anti-Trump Republican Party. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist, and that doesn't look like it's going to exist anytime soon. So your options are make, you, you know, make peace with the idea of Trump being president. You can vote for the Democrats, knowing that you'll get nothing you want in terms of policy. You can vote for a third-party candidate, independent, write somebody in, or you can stay home. Right? You can do any of those things. 
But what I cannot stand and what makes me really think that Joe Walsh deserves every bit of grief that's going to come his way is that every single time he's in these disagreements, anybody who's on the other side of him, he insists is some sort of unprincipled sellout. But he changes everything he believes on a, on a dime, right? <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde were more consistent than this guy. And so the idea that all of a sudden, you know, we're the bad guys, you know, we were the bad guys when we were on the other side of him from Trump before, and we're on the bad guys, we're on the other side of him from Trump now. Joe Walsh is a party of one. And surprise, surprise, that happens to be the same percent of the vote that he got in the Iowa caucuses. Well, I'm sure his 343 Iowa supporters are very disappointed right now. Um, Jim, you know, he says he'd rather have a socialist than a dictator. I've I've got news for Joe Walsh. If you elect the socialist, you get both. Uh, Yeah. By the way, (laughs) let's point out, you know, you know what what kings and dictators don't do, Greg? What's that? Stand for (laughs) re-election. Yes. You know what else they don't have? They don't get impeached. Oh, you know what else they don't have? They don't lose control of the House of Representatives. Oh, you know what else they don't have? They don't have a ton of attack ads running yet. Like, right? does he listen to himself? As you said, Jim, don't go away mad, Joe Wells. Just, just go away. And hey, you know what? That, we could have, you know, the fact that he's out of the race, I guess we could say, is a good martini. It is a good martini. And I'm sure Bill Weld is up there right now going, oh, it's just me and Trump now in New Hampshire. One <laughs> on one, baby. Here we go. He's standing there and sipping his tea with his pinky out and saying, and now it's just you and me, Donald. (laughs) Mano a mano. (laughs) The game is afoot. Yes, yes, yes. Well, enjoy your Friday night Democratic debates if you've got nothing better to do, which hopefully you do. We'll see how many people go after Bernie, go after Mayor Pete. I'm sure that'll be the main focus of the evening. Jim, enjoy the weekend. We'll have another uh, fun week next week with New Hampshire primary. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. Also, you can get us on those uh, home surveillance devices like Alexa and Google Home. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And we will see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. Have a great weekend.